We're the Nada Grande Boys. I'm Rodney Wood. And I'm Kyle Jackson. Welcome to the Nada Grande Outdoors podcast where we hunt it forward. Buenos dias, peoples. Peoples. <laughs> welcome back, welcome back. Mm. We are, uh, <laughs> we're, so, uh, we, we did a podcast about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. No, which one are you talking about? Uh, a podcast about how, how, about doing this podcast. And the challenges oh, yes, and things yes. like that. Yeah, right. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm picking <clears> up where you're laying down. And, uh, oftentimes, uh, We'll get, we'll get together, we'll record several podcasts at a time, and um, we're kind of at the at the tail end of a weekend where we've done some, multiple, some hard podcasting, <laughs> so uh, we, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it becomes difficult at times. Well, it just, you know, so like when we said this before, we've got several guests lined up, but we got to get to Albuquerque to do it. Yeah. So we've got a lot of good podcasts coming up, probably eight or nine, um, but we have to get to Albuquerque to do it. Yeah. And in that weekend that we spend down there, when we get to that, we're going to have eight or nine podcasts that we're going to be able to roll out that's going to cover us until hunting season. Uh, and I think on every podcast that you guys have listened to for the past two or three weeks, I've mentioned that we're pretty much in the downtime, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the draw is uh, over. The draw is over. <laughs> the results are out. Started yet. So, um, unless we get to talking <clears> about <throat> fishing, which we don't do a lot of. Um, I do like to take my kids fishing and stuff like that. But here in New Mexico, let's face it, there's not, this is not a prime fishing state. Uh, there's some great fishing, don't get me wrong. But, like, for me to go fishing... I have to drive no less than two or three hours. Yeah, um, at and, least. And I don't have a boat. So, you know, it, it's a major undertaking to just go fishing. Yes. It's yes. not like you can just run out and go fishing every now and again. Yeah, and I'm not, and and I've probably stated this before, but I'm not a um, massive fisherman. Uh, if, if I'm going somewhere and there happens to be fishing uh, in the area... I will take a fishing rod along. Um, it's something that I think I might like to get better at. It's just uh, like you said; it's it, it's an undertaking to get anywhere to go fishing unless okay. you just live right there. And, and even that, you know, I have Springer Lake out here, um, ten minutes away, but I'm not a pike fisherman. Right. Well. And all of these things are going to be remedied in in short order because, you know, we did the kayaking up in Idaho, and I absolutely loved that. Mm -hmm. So that's going to definitely expand our fishing opportunities in the future for sure. Yes. But as of right now, no. Well, not only that, but uh, like right now, outside, the wind's blowing about 40 mile an hour. Yay. And that's... um, that's not really whether I want to go fishing in. No. And it's no, been kind no of, uh, you know, uh, law, the Murphy's Law, uh, every day I've had off, uh, it's either blowing 9-0 or mm-hmm. I've got chores that I'm doing at my house or I've got 
chores I need to do at my mom's house. And so, you know, life life has a funny way of doing that. Yeah. Um, or I've been running hard and I just want to relax. So, um, but yeah, I'm with you there. You know, we, we got to kayak fish up in Idaho and that was a lot of fun. And, and that will lead to some expansion in our fishing repertoire. Right, right. So I think basically what he's trying to get to is we've been having trouble coming up with topics at the end of our podcast recording week, but we think we found an, a gym to talk about today. Yeah, it's something that I uh, kind of kicking myself that we hadn't thought about talking about before. Right. It's nothing groundbreaking or nope. earth shattering, nope. but it is, uh, I think we kind of got caught up on... on you know, what do we? What value do we have to to put out there in what we're saying? And uh, maybe forgot a little bit about um, some of the people that we're targeting. And that is people who have not ever hunted before. Yep. And so this is a topic that <clears throat> there's plenty of information out there, um, and you know we'll we'll try and put some of those links in the podcast notes. Uh, as uh, as we release this, but uh, as far as our experience and the way that, that we've done it, uh, that's what we're going to talk about, and that's read and sign, tracking animals. Uh, it's a kind of an integral, integral part of hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes right hand in hand with understanding your terrain and how the animals use the habitat and use the space and so we'll talk a little bit about that as well as as we go through this podcast uh i don't know how long a podcast it will be uh, but but it's something that i think uh you know kind of back to basics we yeah. talk about yeah and not just not just reading sign um and tracking animals before the shot but also we'll get into a little bit of tracking um, animals after the shot, yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is another very important um, piece to the puzzle when in the outdoors and hunting big game. Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, a real good place to start would be, you know, we talked, we did a scouting podcast where we talked about you know virtual scouting and then scouting on the ground and, and things like that, mm-hmm. and that's really key to. Uh, setting you up for success in this this type of uh, topic that we're talking about, this reading right. sign, because um, if you're not doing that scouting, uh, you may be just going into an area blind, and that makes it much, much harder to kind of know what you should be doing or what you should be looking for. Right. And not only that, but go to an area blind and you're actually hunting, you know, if you, you know, you wait till you're hunt and then you go into this area you can really discourage yourself um, uh, <laughs> just rip the band-aid off Kyle. <laughs> you can really discourage yourself if you get into area you're not seeing any sign and by sign we're talking about you know the visible sign tracks um, droppings uh, rubs scrapes bedding areas trails uh, you know things like this if you're not seeing any sign, it can really get discouraged. You're, you can get really discouraged and maybe not hunt as hard as you should because you've kind of already internally given up. 
yeah. if you're not mm. seeing that fresh sign. So I'll give you a good example of that. Um, this is a hunt that I went on that you probably didn't know about. This was back, I think, before I met you. Um, I had the opportunity to bite. Some, somebody couldn't make their hunt. And I had the opportunity to buy a tag. It was a public land tag for 53, I think, mm -hmm. over there in that Red River area. <clears throat> and I had the opportunity to, to buy that tag. Did so, but I'd never been in that area, I'd never hunted that area. And so I just kind of uh, you know, asked my brother, hey, where should I go? And he said, oh, yeah, I'd go up, you know, Goose Lake Trailhead and go up the trail and and see what you see. And so I did that um, for a couple of days. Uh, you know, I, I went up Goose Goose Lake Trail, and it's a hell of a hike uh, from the trailhead up to the lake and kind of around the lake. And uh, I did not, you know... I didn't see any sign in there. There was no scrapes. There was no rubs. There was very few tracks. There was, um, you know, not very many trails. Hardly any scat, anything like that. And it became very discouraging because you you hiked all that way to get into that area. And this is where I'm coming back to the whole scouting thing. Had I, it was kind of a last minute deal, and so I didn't have a whole lot of chance to scout. Right. But had I done the scouting, I would have known. Well, that's not an area that I want to be in because there's probably much better places to be in that unit. But I didn't know that because I, I didn't have a chance to go scouting. So let's let's back up real quick because, like you said, we're kind of aiming this at those who are maybe less experienced in the hunting world. And let's explain these things that we're talking about in a little bit more detail. So, like, first, um, explain scat. Okay, so... <clears throat> There are certain um, animals just like humans. It's poop. It's poop. <laughs> animals just like humans. And, you know, they eat and they drink and they crap. And so when we talk about... And they walk. And they that's, walk. That's all yeah. they do. They eat, drink, crap, walk. Yeah. And so um, scat is poop, basically. Uh, but... Poop. <laughs> Our juvenile sense of humor. You said poop. You said doo doo. <laughs> um, but you back up and 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 so like if you're gonna do a good podcast, you have to know your shit. <laughs> so that's right. Proceed. Um, you back up and and you th and uh, this is stuff that you would learn in hunter education. Um, if you're looking to get into hunting, I highly recommend you take a class. Mm -hmm. It's not just for kids. Um, they teach you a lot of this really basic stuff. But, real simply put, animals need, have certain needs. They need water. They need food. Uh, they need cover for uh, safety. And they need space. And so those are the four basic things that they need in a habitat. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, where you need to start looking for animals is well, hold on. Before we get into that, okay. though, I want to I want to I want to finish defining these terms. Okay. So so scat's poop. Yeah. Find what um, your tracks. Okay. So track simple, track but... yeah the track is is the imprint of an animal's foot left on the ground. Okay. Now um, d define uh, scrape. Okay. So a scrape 
Uh, depends on what animal you're talking about and what animal you're hunting. But generally, whenever you are talking about a scrape and you're hunting an ungulate or a deer and an elk, something like that, you're looking at uh, generally young saplings, uh, young trees. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Scrape. <laughs> that is where they paw the ground. That's where they paw That's the ground. They paw the ground. Um, yeah. They'll rub their antlers. They'll on rub the their antlers on the ground. Um, That's a similar to that is an elk is going to be a wallow. They'll find a a, uh, um, a place that's got some water, and they'll just like it sounds a wallow around in it. They'll they'll roll around in it, piss on piss in it, stink. Yeah, throw throw the mud up on themselves. Uh, and these are the the male the the bucks the the uh, bulls that are doing this. And then um, rub. And then, sorry, I, so I was explaining a rub um, instead of a scrape. So a rub is where uh, these animals, the ungulates, the deer, the elk, they uh, grow antlers every single year, uh, and then they shed them in about February, mm -hmm. um, and then they regrow them. When they're growing, they're in what they call velvet, and it's a very soft... Um, no, it's not a material. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Um, I just yeah. <clears throat> anyways, it's very soft, but it, it and pliable because uh, it's there's blood running to the antlers, and that's what grows into the you know into the antler, which is basically cartilage. Yeah, and that hardens. Well, whenever they're whenever it comes fall and they're getting ready for the breeding season for the rut. Um, mm -hmm. They are going to take and they're going to scrape off that that velvet and so the way that they do that is they find a young sapling or you know you know a young tree or a bush or or something like that and they're going to take and they're going to they're going to rub those antlers up and down and and over and through and all kinds of different stuff and it does two things for them one it takes it it strips all that velvet off mm -hmm. and two it uh, it's basically those horns are, or those antlers, um, are white underneath that, and it will stain those antlers, and that's yep. what gives them that dark color, um, on the antlers it's that more you camouflage. Yeah, it's basically more camouflage, and and, and <clears throat> so when those antlers harden, mm -hmm. um, they'll rub that velvet off, and and it stains those antlers, and and so that's a rub, yep. and and it. And it, and it looks like somebody took and just shaved yeah. the middle part of a sapling. And, and we'll kind of get into some more of this stuff as we go along, but I just wanted to kind of define those terms real quick because um, people, <clears throat> our listeners that aren't um, avid hunters, avid hunters need, you know, need, need to know the difference, particularly in a rub and a scrape. And like I said, we'll get into the differences of those um, and how they... Um, pertain to different animals because um, you know different animals do them at different places and yeah. different times. Mm. We, and we'll get in that as, as, we, as we continue along. And so it's also important to be able to, for us to define what we're calling that because um, in different regions, while most of the terminology is the same, occasionally someone has a different word or a different phrase for what Correct. They call yeah. something. Well, it, and, and yeah, a perfect example of that is like, and you've already done it, um, you've called them antlers and horns. Yeah. So technically, an elk has antlers. antlers. Um, but 
many people call them horns. Yeah. Like, whatever you want they to go, call them. I don't care. Yeah, they, whenever they go, hunting. whenever they go shed hunting, they're they're going horn hunting. Yeah, or whatever happens so, all the time. I, I don't care. Call it what you want. We yeah. just want you to know what we're calling it. That way, you can relate it to um, <clears throat> what you're looking to at. the conversation that we're having. Exactly. Yeah. So. That should cover most of it. That's a tra- most of the a term, trail is pretty, yeah, pretty, yeah, uh, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, that's, that's where we're going to find the tracks. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of animals are using it. Yeah. Um, n- not all animals use those trails. They'll cut through the woods and things mm-hmm. like that. But for the most part, uh, herd animals are going to use trails. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much that's, it. Yeah, that's for the most part. The definitions that I wanted to get us right, get us through. And so. Uh, Coming back to the habitat and the four component, basic components of habitat, um, when you're looking to scout or when you're looking for animals and looking for signs, this is uh, this actually kind of harkens back to a conversation that we had with Ty about trapping, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, quite fitting because we were just talking uh, this weekend about how we wish trapping was more popular, that it was more... Um, yeah. kind of mainstream because it's such a cool um, such a cool I guess offshoot of hunting yeah there, there's a lot of it's things it's not an offshoot it, there, but it, discipline there's, I guess yeah it, it is and it really it, there's a lot that you can learn you know and the tracking is a big aspect you know finding game is a lot more than just walking through the forest and seeing them. Yes. You know, you have to, like you said, to look for the sign, look for the terrain, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so many things. I mean, we, we could talk for hours about this, about benches and canyons and heads and ridges and saddles and draws. and um, Don't get into that yet. Yeah. We'll get into we, a we, little we, bit we of that. We could talk about all of that for hours, <clears> you know, but, uh, and you learn a lot of that in trapping, you know, especially how to track and how, because that's, right. that's the key in that is finding game and finding how they move because that's exactly. you've got to get them to step on you know a little two inch square so so it's a great it's a great tool to learn those those tracking basics yeah um, that'll help you in hunting yeah so and you know it's a little bit different you're in most commonly and when you're trapping you're trapping predators they move mm-hmm. a little bit differently but it's very similar similar principles and what i was getting to with that was <clears throat> in trapping, you look for edges, what we call edges. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing uh, whenever you're looking for a place to find animals uh, within those four components of habitat. You want to look where you can find the most of those four coming together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're in a canyon and you've got, you know, lots and lots of trees, we've got cover. Probably don't have, if you, you know, if you're covered up in trees you're probably not going to have much food you may have some water in the bottom of the canyon um you know when when you look at that that may not be a real prime area to look if you have let's say in the bottom of the canyon a big meadow now we're talking Mm -hmm. because we've got cover on the on the sides and then you've got water in the bottom and food um and then if it's you know a good distance from uh, civilization now you've got all four of those but you look for those edges where uh, a lot of those components are coming together and that's where you're generally going to find animals yeah uh, here in New Mexico water is obviously a, a big one um, for the most part if you can find water you're going to find animals uh, occasionally like this year we've had a really good spring uh, we've had a lot of snow melt 
heard a lot of complaints about not you know them not finding very many turkey because of they're so spread out I would be interested to see if that continues if we get good monsoons it may continue and you you know we may have a difficult time with our antelope hunt uh, because there's just water everywhere and so you know uh, for the most part in this arid southwest uh, water is a big hunting strategy yeah yeah that can be taken away really easy uh, by a good year yeah for sure but um, coming back to uh, finding those animals if you can find the majority or a majority of those habitat components in an area that's an area that you want to look looking back on that hunt that i had in 53 um it was it was a poor area for me to go hunt it was pretty much all trees yeah and so I, there was no food um there was a lake there and so there was water but there's no reason for them to come to water if there's no food nearby mm -hmm. uh, so looking back on it you know uh, growing as I as I have as a hunter, I can recognize. Oh, there's a reason there wasn't any sign because there weren't any animals mm -hmm. there. Um, a lot of people who who aren't experienced hunters will go through, uh, let's say Cimarron Canyon up yeah. here and look up on the hillside and think, oh, that's got to be full of elk. But in reality, those real thick forests that are just dog hair forests um, are fairly void of life. They're kind of wildlife deserts because yeah. you don't have those four components yeah and so that's what and so that's where our aerial scouting comes in absolutely you know, like this these are the things that when you know and we've talked about several times about scouting on google um that i look at i get on google and i'm looking for um these things your 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 cover your space your water um the the, the part that's hard to see there is your food yes you know but what I can see is those other three and what that does is now it gives me an an area to start yes so I've got I've got an area that I can see some space with some cover and some water now you got to get your feet on the ground and start looking for that physical animal sign mm -hmm. and that's where the the droppings come in the scat um, you start looking for scat and you start looking for fresh scat. You know, there's a lot of areas that hold um, what we would call summer or winter range. So they hold lots of animals in the summer, none in the winter. Yeah. Lots of animals in the winter, but none in the summer, you know. Um, and so if you know those, we're going to be looking for those in-between areas. Correct. Um, up here in the Vividal uh, is not a winter range. For, uh, okay, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Um, generally not a winter range for for elk because mm -hmm. generally we get a lot of snow and it pushes them down uh, pushes them further down the mountains and so so uh, they're there in the summer mm -hmm. and then they're usually there in the fall yeah. uh, but you know they're not going to be up high in 53 in that hunt that I had um, I have since talked to people who've hunted that and they said it, all, all the elk they ever found were above timberline. Yeah, and I, I never got there. And and one of the so one of the things that I'm like I'm talking about here is um, dependent like let's say we're talking about elk mm -hmm. or, or even deer for that matter. You can go into an area in August. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a September bow hunt, let's say you can go into an area in August and you could not see any fresh sign, and you could not see any tracks, any scat, and no animals. That doesn't mean that's a bad area. Because if you see lots of scrapes, 
lots of rubs, lots of that type of activity, them animals will be back. Yeah, you're talking like old scrapes and things like that. Old scrapes, old rubs from last year Mm -hmm. and the previous year. So you've also got to worry about the freshness of sign. You know, just because you're not seeing any fresh sign right now, look at the trees. Look for scrapes, look for rubs, look for things like that because that is indicative of them animals being there during the time that you're going to be hunting. Maybe not during the time that you're there scouting, right? but during the time that you're going to be hunting. Right. So, yeah. So, um, again, like, like Rodney is saying, uh, just because they're not there right, right now, doesn't mean that they won't be there. You, you got to take all this into account, uh, work those edges, get as many of those components as you possibly can together. Uh, and then, you know, take into account winter range, summer range, and, and the cycles mm-hmm. uh, of your weather. And, and the, ge- the other thing to kind of take into account is your geography. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> for, for the most part, those animals are going to be moving out of cover. Uh, sometime in the evening, they will feed in the evening and overnight. Mm-hmm. And then in the morning, and then they're going to move back to cover and back to shade during the daytime. Um, you know, when we hunt deer down there uh, around 33, we get up high and we glass, and we those deer really start to pop the first thing in the morning. But by within the first hour of the sun coming up, those deer are moving to shade. They're moving because mm-hmm. of it, because of the the heat. And, yep. the, and, the, and the temperature down there. Yep. And so taking all that into account, if you've drawn an area that you're not familiar with, it's always beneficial to get a hold of somebody who's from that area uh, that has the local knowledge on kind of the animal patterns and the, the weather patterns yep. to learn that. Yep. So having said all that, uh, we can kind of now get into some of the reading of the sign and the tracking and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, Rodney touched on a little bit talking about looking for those indicators that animals have been there or will be there and uh, some really good indicators of that are of course your rubs your scrapes Um, you're looking for fresh track you're looking for fresh scat Um, if there's old scat there again good indicator that they have been there and have used that area you just kind of kind of figure out when 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 they're using it yeah we Um, did a we did a walk when we were hunting last year on our rifle hunt and we walked this ridge and how how long was that that was that first morning ridge that we walked and i was positive that this ridge was going to hold up yeah positive yeah um from the topography of the land to the um Forest to, to the forestation and the and the shrubbery that was around. Mm-hmm. I was positive that this ridge was going to hold elk. Yes, there was no droppings, no rate, no scrapes, no, no rubs, rubs no scat. Yeah, nothing. I mean, that's I what, that's what we think. That's what we planned. Month old. That's what we planned that whole walk around um, was looking at it. Looking at it, it looked fantastic mm-hmm. because. There was kind of some valleys and meadows on either side. Well, on our scouting trip, our, our, our scouting trip had revealed elk. Yes. Granted, the elk that we saw were a quarter of a mile away, but we just we 
we figured, we calculated that they were going to be moving up that to that ridge and using that ridge as kind of a um, pass through. Yes. But no. <laughs> no. Come to find out, uh, I think what those animals were doing, you were talking about the topography, what they were doing is they would come up out of the meadows that were on private land where we saw them mm-hmm. when we were scouting. And they would only go a little ways into those trees onto yeah, a bench, they were not going on and there. they would bed, and then they would go back. They were not going all the way over the ridge, and that was evident by the lack of sign that we saw. No trails. You know, we saw a few places where uh, they had been crossing, probably uh, during winter time, well past hunting season, and so that was a good example of that because. We thought, oh yeah, there's got to be elk in here because of these, this, 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 and this, and uh, it just didn't, just didn't pan out that way. That's mm-hmm. why it was, um, uh, you know, we quit pretty quickly abandoned that, uh, and yeah. and went to some other areas where we we figured we'd probably see some. Yeah, and that was and that, and that and that's kind of an example. Now I don't, I'm not going to second guess or move that, but it's kind of an example of like what I was talking about earlier. You can get discouraged. You know, we had high hopes for that morning hunt and we hit that ridge and we went to walk in it just like we want like we wanted to wind was right um and after a certain amount of distance of of just seeing nothing you know you know and our hunt was you know shortly after the rut so no scrapes no rubs no tracks no scat um all of our all the three of us that were hunting the pace began to quicken the further down that ridge we went because we were all just like yeah there is nothing here yeah you know so yeah um so definitely definitely that stuff is is worth paying attention to um because and it's it's a I've seen it, I can't remember where I've seen it, but, but there's a saying that says just because you spend a lot of time making a mistake doesn't mean that you have to stick to it. Right. You know, and, and that was that was it. That was, you know, that's what you're talking about. Because we started to realize there's no sign on this. There's probably not any animals in here. Uh, we had kind of committed at that point, so we went ahead and went to the end of the ridge. But, like you said, as we went, the further and further that that we went down the ridge the faster we got because we were not too terribly right. worried about running across animals. Well, and that was the that was kind of also the part of the plan too is, you know, um, we always have a secondary plan, um, and the first plan was that ridge. The second plan was some meadows and stuff uh, past the ridge. Right. So uh, it wasn't necessarily that we quit hunting the ridge. It was that we. Um, just hunted it quicker and moved on to our secondary plan. And that that's a perfect example of using sign to dictate, you know, how and when and where you're hunting. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so getting a little bit into the actual tracking of animals. Um, Rodney, so, yeah. Rodney indicated before that there's, there's kind of two parts of that, the pre-tracking and the post-tracking. Yeah. And... Go ahead. Well, before you, I, 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 don't know, I don't know where you're going with that, but so question, do you, do you use tracking, uh, like, like hunting deer, elk, antelope, stuff like that, do you use tracking as a method of take, uh, to, to, like, following tracks? 
At certain times I do, yeah. So uh, I have done that. I have not been very successful in it, but I know I know people that that also do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll come across a fresh set of set of tracks and, and they'll move. Uh, the hard part about that is is getting close in enough to the animal to um, make an effective shot without blowing it. Um, I remember when we were hunting one of our first hunts um, down there uh, in 34 when we kind of you know we would work those those Mm -hmm. ridges and those the heads of those little those little valleys Uh, we kind of split up one time and I was you know I came across some fairly fresh tracks. Uh, I I could tell they were fresh uh, by the difference in the dirt yeah and so when you're looking at a track of an animal uh deer elk are going to be cloven hooved uh you can tell kind of by the size and the shape Uh, i won't get i mean too terribly into it because um yeah that's a whole different you can't can't verbally explain no (laughs) no but i could tell it was a bull by the size of it um i could tell he was walking uh, by by the pace and the distance between uh, his tracks, tracks, mm-hmm. um, and I could tell they were fresh because the 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 dirt around the track in the in the trail was dry, but where he had stepped, he had kicked, you know, fresh moist dirt up. Yeah, and so came across that, and I knew it was fairly fresh. I started following it, started following it very cautiously. Um, came across some very fresh scat mm-hmm. in the trail so I knew I was close and that's when I really slowed it down and I was kind of coming up a ridge into, into a bench again still young in my hunting knowledge mm-hmm. I should have gotten extremely still I should have gotten really really like slow. overly cautious yeah. and slow um, however being young in my hunting career uh, i did not recognize that as a place where an elk might be bedded and so as i came up i came up too fast and crested that and boom that elk jumped up right i mean almost right in front of me there he was and there he went there he was and there he went and never got a a chance for a shot and so yes i have used that technique before in tracking as well as in in deer you know you get out there in in the sand dunes of 33 and you come across a fresh track uh, and uh, uh, you just can't help but follow it. It, it, it is, <laughs> and so I don't typically, I don't typically do that. No, um, like you said, when you get on a real fresh one, that and, and you know, like um, now we're going to talk about touching poop, um, and and it's warm, and you know, okay, mm-hmm. this was just in an elk's ass. <laughs> this is fresh. I'm, I'm minutes behind. You can't help, but but try and track it. It's an extremely hard thing to do. It is because they're not as slow as we think they are. Yeah. Even when they're just grazing. Even when they're um, just walking. Yeah. And then when they bed down, they're pretty dang alert. They are. And so it's an extremely hard thing to do. But and especially I, mule deer, mule deer even more I've, than elk watch their back trail. I've I've got one here that it baffled me. So. We were hunting, and it was midday, um, so we were just kind of doing a midday stroll. You know, a lot of people, they don't like, hunting is not as active in midday, so it takes a lot more dedication to follow it through. Um, 
we were on a midday stroll. Um, we'd taken the four-wheelers and left camp um, to get to an area. And then we got to the area and decided to get off and do some walking. And it had snowed uh, that morning. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it only quit snowing probably an hour previous to, to the time that I was at. And there was this fresh set of tracks. And I was thinking, man, this is pretty fresh because it just quit snowing not too long ago. Um, and so I decided I'm going to get on these tracks and just slowly follow it and see what happens. And like I said, midday, just kicking around, could tell it was a buck track. Um, I started following the track and knew where I was, I knew where I was at, knew the area really well. So I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to where I was going as much as I was looking ahead of myself for, for antlers and then, and then following the track. And then before I, before I even realized what was going on, I'm following my track. This deer had walked a circle. Walked a circle. Not only that, but I caught him. Um, how, how do I explain this? So when I got on his track was, uh, dang, how do I explain this? When I got on his track, it was after he saw me. So he saw us on the four-wheeler. So mm -hmm. he saw me on the four-wheeler. I got on his track after he saw me on the four-wheeler. Um, and then he did a circle all the way back to, around to before he saw me on the four-wheeler. And then followed his track. So he was on a ridge, saw me going down the road on the four-wheeler, and was like, nope, I'm out of here. Started doing a circle, right? I parked the four-wheeler, got off, cut his track after he saw me. Well, what he did is he did a big circle around this ridge and then was like, all right, the four-wheeler's gone. Now I'm going to go back to where I was going. And then he went right back and off that point. <laughs> um, and when the track, because I come to the where the track split and I thought, well, I'm going left. And I went left and he, and there was another track that went off the hill. And I, I was kind of confused because there's two sets of tracks and they're no more than 15 minutes apart. Yeah. Um, and I went left and ran into my tracks yeah and that's what happened so then i was like what the and i backtracked and then followed him off the hill and, <laughs> um just very interesting scenario because i cut his track twice once before once you know when he saw me and once after so it was pretty cool yeah and and that's j typically what happens when you follow a track there are very i say very few but it, it takes a very dedicated hunter uh, to be as patient and as methodical and as slow as you have to be to yeah. to take an animal uh, hunting that way. For the most part, uh, you're going to be using tracks to just verify that there are animals in the area and that um, it's you know they're fresh that yeah. that that you're not looking at uh, you're not winter range or yeah. something like that. And so. Um, there's a ton that goes into tracking. Rodney was talking about scat and, and touching it and seeing how fresh it is. 
depending on where you're at, it's it can be easier uh, to do that. You know, if it's uh, if it's a cold morning and it's steaming, you know, no need you don't to, have to touch no it. need to touch it. And and when we say touch it, most of the time um, you can just squish it with your foot and kind of figure out how how fresh it actually mm -hmm. is. The the longer it's on the ground, the harder the crust gets on the outside. It's still um, soft on the inside. And it's still soft on the inside, but when it's fresh, fresh, it's going to be soft all the way through. And like I said, hope if it's steaming, it's really, really fresh. But, you know, don't just go by the look of it because if you get like a dew in the morning, yeah. it can really shine it up and make it look like it's fresh but it's out of the animal, but it's not. Um, same thing with tracks in the ground. They could look fresh, but if you had a frost and it froze, and it has just uh, thawed out. It, it can look like a really fresh track, but, yeah. but it's not. It may have been from the night before or the day before. And so it takes some time to kind of learn those little tricks of the trade. One thing that I um, have always benefited from and I try and pass on to anybody that I can is uh, when you're out and about, and if you know that you're gonna be coming back through an area, make a track with your boot and see what it looks like after it's rained. See yeah. what it looks like after a snow, after a frost. See what it looks like an hour later, two hours later. Yeah. Um, and that's just some of that um, in the field type stuff that you can do to make, to, to kind of get rid of some of the monotony of going to and from a hunting area. And, and another thing is too, don't lie to yourself. Yeah, you know, because it, unless, a, for me personally, unless a track is no more than a couple hours old, I can't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. For the most part, I'm, I, I'm not a good enough tracker to know if this track is from last night, from yesterday morning, from the day before. You know, if it's a fresh, fresh track, I can generally tell, okay, this track is new. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I can't. So don't. Don't lie to yourself and tell yourself, yeah, this this is a fresh track when you don't know because that's just going to cause you to waste time. Yes. Um, so so know your limitations as well. Absolutely. Um, when looking at tracks and stuff like that. And as you as you do it more, you will learn more and be and, and get better at it if you stay dedicated um, to to learning about it. You know, like I said. Uh, as I have gone on in my hunting career, I've learned things and, it, and it's helped me be more successful simply because I've logged that stuff away uh, in 2015, 2016, which was it? I can't remember. Now our Captain hunt, mm -hmm. I stuck a, I stuck a, a bull. Um, I stuck him further back than I thought I had. Uh, it was not a great shot. I, I, I cut an artery, but um, so this is part of that reading the sign. I'd cut an artery in his back hindquarters, but how much he bled and the color of the blood made us think. Well, and that was our, that was us getting it wrong. Exactly. Because that was bright red blood, which is. That was us getting too excited. That was, that was getting us yeah. getting too excited. Um, we took it for lung blood, but it when you, not. looking back on it, uh, it was not. Lung blood. There was, was not. It was not that air pink, ball. It was air not pink frothy yeah. blood that you're going to get with the lung blood. Um, it wasn't the dark blood that you're going to get with the liver or kidney. It was bright blood that you're going to get from tissue. Yeah. 
And what threw us off was just the amount of blood that there was, was there. There was a ton of blood, and that was another thing. You know, they elk bleed so much. They're large animals, and they will bleed a lot. And this elk, there was blood everywhere. But not only that, he was down. Yeah. Okay, me and Dedon saw him down, laying, assumed, dead. Yeah. Um, and we would have sat down and just watched him had we not had more elk bugling right across from him, not 200 yards, right. that you stayed back behind mm-hmm. to call, mm-hmm. and me and Dedon attempted to put a stock on them because your elk was down and it wasn't going to be any problems. But in the, in the interim of, of us, me and Dedon going after those other elk, your elk got up and wandered off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so we're kind of getting into the aftershot uh, tracking type of uh, scenario. Two, two completely different things. Two completely different things. You know, we talked about, um, for the most part, most hunters are going to use tracks pre-shot to just verify yeah. that there are animals in the area, get an idea of the direction that they're going, uh, get an idea of where they're crossing uh, certain barriers, fences, uh, yeah. streams, stuff like that and so coming back i guess before we get into the before we get well go ahead well and so like what you're describing i would call more of more reading sign correct and what we're about to discuss i would call actual tracking yeah Uh, and that's when you've shot an animal and it's ran and moved and now we're going to go and track it and try and recover it yes um and that to me is tracking the, the rest would be, to me, reading signs. Yeah. That's just my yeah. nomenclature. Doesn't right. have to be yours. And, I, and, I, and I'll agree with you on that. Uh, however, there are some basic principles that, that are involved in both. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's kind of where I'll start out with, with the post shot, with the actual tracking of the animal. Um, understand your terrain. Uh, it's extremely hard to track animals in... Uh, rocky terrain. It's extremely hard to track that animals in very grassy terrain. It's extremely hard, hard to, to track animals. Track, an, well, <laughs> yeah, first starting out it is, yeah. uh, but it's hard to track animals on on soft, um, you know, uh, grass type mm-hmm. terrain. Uh, it can be done. Uh, I have done it myself, mm-hmm. and so it's not out of the realm of possibility. You hear these stories about these old trackers. You know, uh, one of my favorite stories is about uh, uh, Kit Carson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had had a place over here near Rayado. Uh, a girl was kidnapped from a from a wagon train. Um, that wagon train was attacked. A girl was kidnapped. They came and got him. Um, it took them a week to ride to his house and get him and another week to get back to where the attack happened on the Santa Fe Trail and from there two weeks old he tracked that party of Indians you know almost another week and recovered the girl that's that's pretty impressive but you hear those stories and you're like how can he do that but as you gain experience in this you start to recognize uh, Probably it's a learned skill. It's a learned skill and probably some of the tricks of the trade that they they used. Um, so, coming back to the tracking of an animal. Uh, obviously, when you make that shirt shot, the very first thing you're going to do is go look for blood. Well, 
I'll differ with you on that. Okay. The very first thing that you're going to do after you make that shot is mark the location that you were standing when you were shot, when you shot, and make a mental note of where that animal was standing when you shot yes, it. Yes, yes. And, 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 because that's, you have to start at the beginning. So, mark your location, mark that location, and then, once you've got that, you know, flag your spot if you can. I carry flagging. Um, flag your spot where you were standing if he ran off and go to where he was standing when you shot him. Yeah. Don't go to where you saw him go through the trees. Go to where he was standing when you shot him. Yes. Because there's a lot of sign right there that can tell you what might have happened. And that can lead to, do I track now? Do I wait, wait. an hour? Mm -hmm. Do I wait three hours? Particularly like if you're hunting archery, your arrow, if it's there, you know, what shape is it in? What kind of blood does it have on it? Does it have green on it, which means a gut shot? So the most important thing to me that you can do is remember your look, mark your location where you shot from, and then go to where you shot the animal and mark that location, and then start from there. Yeah, and so I, I guess, thanks for bringing that up. I guess I kind of skipped that uh, occasionally. Uh, well, not occasionally. We have a habit of assuming Correct. as hunters that everybody knows what we're talking about. Right. So I'm glad that you brought that up and 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 talk talked about that very important piece of it because that's exactly right you do have to start from the beginning and when you start looking for blood if you can't find something you need a reference point to go back to and exactly. so if you've marked your your where you shot from you can now say oh crap i was looking over here yeah i need to i need to go to the left whatever it is yeah so yeah that's a that's an extremely good point and thank you for bringing that up Coming back to it, we're, we're going to look for blood. We're going to yeah. look for, if you're archery hunting, you're going to look for an arrow. Uh, you're going to look for sign in that area to, to uh, give us an indication of what actually happened. Because under stress, your mind sometimes bends reality. Correct. And so, uh, you may have thought that he ran in this direction, but... When you have calmed down, the adrenaline has worn off from the shot. For the most part, you're going to want to let that animal, especially if you think you've made a good shot, you're going to want to make let that animal have some time. Yeah. Because if you've made a good shot, they're going to bleed out, and they're going to be easier to find. If you just go right away and start looking for them, you may push them, and it pumps their adrenaline, yeah. adrenaline up, and they're going to they're going to travel farther. It's another reason that I like to that that I personally like to hunt with a, a, a hunting partner because inevitably and I know I do this and I'm assuming that most people do it as well every shot you take is a good shot no I hit him I hit him good that's what I thought every shot is like that and so if you've got a buddy and they're there they can keep you honest and be like, yeah, you shot him in the butt. <laughs> you know, um, I you was, shot him, or you I, shot him a little far you back. You shot him far back, you shot him too far forward, you shot him a little high. All of these things are extremely helpful um, because if you shot him a little far back, well, now you know um, that's, that's back in either the kidney or the liver area or possibly even the guts. Mm -hmm. And you know, you got to wait. 
you know, and you may be thinking you made a good shot and you get up there and you've got dark blood and well, now you know you hit him a little far back you're in the kidneys or the livers and you know you need to wait a little longer. These are all telltale signs. So why I like having a partner because I always lie to myself. No, that's a perfect shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, inevitably, uh, like you said, the mind plays replays what it kind of wants to until mm -hmm. you slow down and actually start thinking about, you know, what yeah. actually happened and so as you when when you decide that you know you've you've given them enough time and i always kind of my rule of thumb is i i go as long as i think that i've given them enough time and then i give it another 20 minutes yeah um and so then i'm we're gonna go look for blood we're gonna look look for the stuff on the ground um if you find blood now we're looking for the color or the or the type of blood that that you have. Is it is it just a little bit? Is it a lot? Is it like I said? If you hit them in the lung, yeah, it's going to be a, a frothy pink. Yep. Uh, if you hit them a little far back, it's going to be dark. If you hit them in a in a large muscle group, you're going to have that bright red blood. Um, so how much is it? Uh, and and is your arrow there? Mm -hmm. um, are you finding bone fragments if you, you know, shot them with a muzzleloader? And another sign is, are you following one trail or two trails? Yeah. Because a, a, a clean pass-through is generally going to leave two trails of blood. Yeah. One on each side. Yeah. If you're just following one, you didn't have a full pass-through. Uh, something that when we were tracking your elk, we never even thought about. Yes. And he just left a one single line of trail, but it was never something that we ever even stopped. And I never about. found my arrow. Correct. Right. Well, until we got it. Until we got it. We, we found it then. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing that you're going to look for is tracks on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so he, when you hit him, he's going to have a surge of adrenaline. He's going to jump. He's going to run. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. Um, but like I said, your mind could play, play tricks on you. You could think that, oh, yeah, he ran due north. Mm -hmm. And when you actually look at the, at the tracks on the ground, you see that he jumped and he kind of spun and maybe ran, you know, west mm -hmm. or something like that. And so that's where you want to start. You want to follow that blood trail and you want to follow those tracks. Um, you, can, you can tell... As you get better at, at, at this, you'll be able to tell when he is running by the gait, mm -hmm. um, by the depth of the track that is made, by, by how the much... distance between the tracks. Correct. The, well, well, and that's what I mean by gait. Yeah. yeah. And when, when they're starting, you know, you'll have two tracks side by side because they're, they're jumping. Right. When, um, and that's not a good sign <laughs> because they're generally not hit if they're doing that. Right. And we're talking about deer specifically. Specific. Um, but, you know, you tell by if they're running by, by the depth of the track, the, the length of the gate, the amount of, um, I guess, chaos around the path that the animal went and the terrain mm -hmm. that you're in. Broken branches. Uh, broken branches. Turned over rocks. Turned over rocks. Bushes that are bent and, and, and broken. Mm -hmm. Things like that. And all of that is going to be very, very evident at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, as an animal goes, uh, the more cautious and and aware they become of their surroundings. Once that adrenaline's kind of worn off, and they and they start to do their normal animal thing, which is pick their way through the forest. And so, hopefully, you've hit them good, and you don't have to go that far. Yeah. Um, but 
as as an animal gets further away from that uh, you know that surprise in this incident that that prick that you know injury or or pain that they felt uh, at, at a certain point they'll start to the adrenal will start to wear off you'll be able to tell from the gait from the length between the tracks uh, whether they're slowing down um, if they're stopping and looking behind them because most of the time they'll stop and look behind them see what it was at that point you're gonna probably have blood pooling mm -hmm. um, again you pay attention to what type of blood it is yeah. how much blood it is yeah. um, at times they may bed down you'll be able to find where they've bedded down underneath a bush and they'll have a pool of blood there um, all of these things as the further that you go uh, the more your heart sinks right because you know you probably didn't make a very good shot if they're going that far yeah. um, if you've made a good shot for the most part you're gonna hopefully if you've given them time you're gonna find that animal in pretty short order um, coming back to what that the elk that I that I shot um, we tracked him a long we tracked him ways. a long ways and we were real excited at first because we had so much blood and we started tracking him and and you know he he bled for a long time but then as we went along I could tell he slowed down disappearing and the blood started disappearing and I tracked him for probably two miles and there were times when I was tracking him where I would find a pinprick of blood on a blade of grass or and I was literally I uh, whenever I realized whenever I realized that I had not made a good shot on him because the blood was starting to disappear at that point in time I measured I physically I found something on my body it was I think it was my shooting sticks where I measured the length of his gait from the back to the front and I did that because as I started to lose blood, what I could now do was when I found a track or where he had stepped on a rock and knocked it over or where he had, you know, whatever it was, when I found a track, I could then have that measuring device and I would set it at the front of the last track I had found and I would use it kind of like pendulum. a pendulum to see where the next track was. Correct. And and there were certain there was times within that uh, period where I was tracking him where I did that several times where I had to do that because he was going through big rocks and he would start up a hill and then get to a point where he couldn't get up the hill because I'd hit him in the in the ass and he was he was it wasn't a dragging the leg but he's probably packing the leg yeah. and he couldn't get up the hill and so he would turn like 90 degrees and go back down the hill and had I stayed on the line that he should have been on. I would have lost his track altogether. Yeah. And so, and that's, some tips. And that's, and that's before you continue right yeah, there, that's sure. another thing is um, don't get caught up in what you think they're going to do. Mm -hmm. Follow it's, the it's, sign of what they did do. It's a good part of it, and I agree with, with Rodney to a point. Um, you do want to try and think like the animal and see where they would go. Understand that, you know, an injured animal is less likely to go up a hill. Don't, and I'll agree with Rodney. Don't, don't do until what you until, think they're going to do. Until you lose all sign, you follow the sign. Yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. don't think about what they're going to do. Follow the sign. Right. Um, and so, 
with the, with these general ideas in mind that a, an injured animal is likely not going to go up a hill they're going to follow the easiest path path possible and so again as rodney was saying as that sign becomes less and less you're going to have to rely more and more on what you think they might do especially if they're in a really difficult area to track grass things like that mm -hmm. and so some tips and tricks for you in that situation if you're tracking an animal you've lost blood um, or it's become very very sparse then at that point um, all along this process let me step back all along this process you're going to want to mark your last known sign yes every so, every everyone everyone don't don't waste time on on passing that one up um, you know say we'll mark the next one mark every sign that you find along the way leave yourself a nice good trail another thing that it does is is that like is that animal going in a straight line right is he moving back and forth because that's a sign that he's hit harder mm -hmm. you know um, it'll also give you a sign of because you can look back and see what he's doing is he going uphill because while you're tracking you're doing two things you're, you're looking down to find more sign yeah and you're looking ahead to try and see him yes um, what you're not often doing but you should be doing is looking back to see what he's been doing yes um, because that's a tale a, a telltale sign of what he may be doing and you know and it may help you find some more some more sign ahead of you again good example of that is when with that with that particular elk when I found him and I looked back at the two miles that I had tracked him again I couldn't see the whole two miles but I had a good idea of where he had gone he had made a big circle and he was only about a quarter mile from where I first mm -hmm. shot him yeah he made a big like a big old U. yeah is what he did yeah and he what he'd done is he tried to go up the ridge he tried to go he up the hill and he couldn't and so he he moved back down mm -hmm. but again some kind of some tips whenever you whenever you run out of of blood and you're just kind of running off of the bare minimum of the track um like like we were saying you want to mark your last known sign because if you lose the sign then you're going to use some sort of pattern to try and find sign that's either a grid or a spiral whatever you do do it consistently uh, if you if you're used to using a grid that means you're going to work uh, the area around it in a square pattern until you find the next sign if you're using a spiral use that whatever whatever it is that you decide to use um, to find it that's what you're going to have to do is look around your last known sign uh, again this is why i use the measuring trick because yep. it makes yep. that a lot easier right it does um, the other thing you're going to do is you're going to look for general direction that the animal's going and unless there's something major as an obstacle they're probably going to continue in that direction if there's no other indication that uh, they should leave that course of travel yeah um, and doing that offers you the opportunity to find what we call a track trap and it's a fancy word for a bare place on the ground where you're gonna find tracks yeah and so uh, if you lose track and you just absolutely cannot find track and the direction of travel is let's say northeast 
and you know right up here because you've done your scouting you've looked at your maps whatever it is you know up here about 400 yards there's a creek that's a great trap track trap because there's probably some sort of bare ground or there's mud or something where that animal will have to cross and so again it's kind of a last resort type of thing yeah if you just absolutely can't find any but you'll go looking for that and oftentimes you can pick that animal's trail back up because again barring any uh, major obstacle they're probably going to continue that line of travel yeah um yeah i mean we could go on and on about this yeah we could uh but um, the basics of it are that pre pre-shot you want to learn to read the sign you mm -hmm. want to understand the habitat that they're in and the way that they use that habitat um post shot you're going to rely on a lot of uh what's on the ground yeah 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 the other one other thing that i will mention that is that i've had success in doing uh i i killed a deer three years ago on our artesia hunt um and when i shot I firmly believed that I missed. I didn't hear no pop. I didn't hear. I didn't hear the sound. You know that you that that you hear. Um, and the deer just took off running. He didn't hump up. He didn't jump. Nothing. He just took off running. Um, and I didn't see anything in his in him fleeing that made me believe he was hit. I had a partner with me. Mm -hmm. uh, Roger was with us and when I turned around he gave me the thumbs up and I was confused I was like, what do you mean thumbs up I missed him uh, but he was positive that I hit him so when I went back to him I marked my location I went back to him and he said uh, yeah you hit him he went down right over there and there was a bunch of does with this buck that were still milling around and so we went over there to where he said he went down and there was no deer there. And I was just like, and he was like, man, I was pretty sure that I saw him go down. I'm not sure what, what he saw, but we, we, you're talking about a grid or a spiral. We started making a spiral looking for blood. We couldn't find any tracks. We couldn't find any blood. He said, man, I was positive. I saw dust up in here. Um, and the whole time I kept looking back and these does had just stayed there in this little brushy area where, where the buck was when I shot him. And they kept looking, not at us, but in another direction. And as Roger got further off looking for blood, I decided to actually go backwards. And I went back and got in line with those does and what they were looking at. And then I just turned and walked in the direction that they were looking. And lo and behold, there he was. Yeah. Uh, laying there, not, not 100 yards from where I shot him. Yeah. Um, so you can also use that as a means of tracking. Don't use it as your only means for sure, but we were finding nothing, no blood, no tracks, no nothing. Um, and so I just went back to those does, got in line with what they were looking at, mm -hmm. and then turned and headed that direction, and there he was. Yeah. So. And, and those of you out there listening that are avid hunters, um, I'm sure you guys have your own tips and your tricks and, and things that you use. Um, 
I would even welcome, you know, some constructive right. criticism right. And, and comments on, on what we've said and what we use. If you found that it doesn't, if that doesn't work for you, I mean, let us hear, let us hear about it. Um, if you've got any tips, if you've got any you tips like. that you do like, let us know about it. Uh, that's, that's kind of what this is all about is sharing that knowledge, sharing that information, uh, making it, making it, uh, more beneficial to everybody. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this is not the end all be all of, of tracking and, and reading sign as again, this is just, this podcast is meant to be kind of a, a basics on, on what to look for. And I have a strong suspicion that there's a lot of people out there who, who, have an idea of what we're talking about, but have n- have never been given good formal, or uh, you know, uh, it's never been articulated to them. Yeah. And so it may be, be beneficial to to all some people who have been hunting for mm-hmm. some time. Uh, it's nobody just just nobody ever ever explained it to them. And uh, for the most part, in hunting, as you do it more, you gain more experience, and and you learn from every single time that you do it. And that's that's what we're basing our experiences, and and, and this conversation off of is just uh, what we what we learned from our mentors and and where we are at in our hunting careers and what we've learned as as we've come along, uh, and man, it, it, every time we go out, it seems like we're learning something new. Yeah, well, for the most part, what we really hope is that we don't have to track anything. And that's that's for the, the most part. We hope that we we pull the trigger be it on our bows or on a rifle or a muzzleloader, that the animal goes down and we don't have to track anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I would prefer the situation, you know, when I drew my once-in-a-lifetime Viva doll hunt, there was four of us that drew that. Um, we decided my buddy Jake, or uh, my, my younger brother's buddy Jake, was going to hunt or take the first shot. We called this bull in to 20 yards. He shot him. The bull ran another 20 yards and kind of stopped looked back and we were all just kneeling there watching him kind of over our shoulders and we got to watch him do the wobble and the lay down and right. the kick and and he was done and i would prefer it that way every time but that's just not the way that I happens even one up yeah I, I know two old boys that went on an elk hunt and, and one old boy shot an elk at 73 yards and it fell over within about seven yards of where he shot it and the next guy shot his at about 35 yards and it ran about 20 yards before it fell over and they were dead 73 yards apart within 15 minutes <laughs> yeah i know those old boys that's <laughs> yeah, us yeah that was us <laughs> uh, that's the way i really like it yeah absolutely uh, although that was a lot of work we didn't have to track anything but we had two elk that we had to drag off that mountain yeah that morning and that was that success that was a haul yeah so I hopefully this hopefully this was uh, helpful to you guys um and again, yeah, give us some feedback on it. Uh, if you've got uh, a tip or a trick or, or something that you use that has been helpful, let us know. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, notagrandeoutdoors.com. Notagrandeoutdoors.com. Dot com. Please uh, uh, rate us. Subscribe. Subscribe. And give us a review. Thanks for joining. Adios. Adios. Thanks for joining Not a Grande Outdoors podcast. Come follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget about our website, www.notagrandeoutdoors.com. Adios. Adios.